We do have a very uh, special guest with us. Uh, his name is Lou Leventhal, and you might be wondering, wait a second, I recognize that name. Where do I know that name from? Uh, yes, uh, he is the father of one of our very, very own, Josh Leventhal, who does worship for us. Uh, so we have uh, a very, an amazing opportunity uh, to have him come speak with us today. Uh, Lou Leventhal actually has uh, been a master illusionist. Uh, he's He's actually uh, sold out stadiums uh, and uh, done amazing things uh, that way. Uh, and he actually was performing at Rush, and so that's why we, uh, we get him this morning. Uh, but he's been uh, in ministry for over 40 years and, uh, and has been pastoring uh, churches for 25. And he's, uh, he's in a church plant right now in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And uh, just uh, what the most thing that amazes me uh, about him is just his heart. Uh, for the Lord and his heart for just uh, seeing uh, God's people be encouraged and, uh, and people coming to the Lord. And so uh, let's give a big Willow Park welcome to Lou Leventhal. Steve, thanks. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to be here with you. And uh, we've obviously heard a lot about Willow Park from our son, Josh, but it has been a real gift being able to put uh, faces with names and I have just been so appreciative, and my wife Martha has been so appreciative of the warmth that we've experienced and our son Josh has, and uh, so I just want to say thank you. And also for your investment in the next generation. I really believe churches that invest in the next generation are after God's heart, and uh, investing in things like Rush and the youth ministry and the children's ministry you do here is one of the most important things that you can do because God is the God of today as well as yesterday, but also he's the same tomorrow. And when you invest in uh, future people coming to know Jesus and being equipped to serve him around the world, uh, you are saying, God, we trust you and we believe in you, uh, not just for what we can get back out of these people, but what we can invest in them. So thank you so much uh, for doing that. And we really have come to feel in a very short time that Willow Park for us is a home away from home. And uh, thank you so much for your grace and hospitality. Um, We have three children. My wife and I uh, will be married 33 years this July. Uh, my wife Martha and uh, the kids definitely get their musical ability from their mom, not their dad. I told the group at Rush that uh, when I first became a Christian, when I was 18 years old, I started praying. I said, God, I want to sing so bad. And uh, he answered my prayers, and now I sing so bad. So I, <laughs> I will never be on a worship team. I worship. I, I make a noise to the Lord. It's joyful, and I hope it makes him smile, but uh, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. And uh, Josh, uh, we have three kids. Josh is our oldest, Joshua David. Um, our kids have very biblical names. We prayed for a long time what to name them. Uh, Joshua David, and I call him my, my uh, poet warrior because he has a real tremendous heart for God, but he has a black belt in Taekwondo and a mixed martial artist. And so, um, you know, he, uh, he will uh, rip your head off and praise God about it and tell you, <laughs> tell you that the Lord is his shepherd and he will not want. Um, and then my daughter, uh, Hannah Elizabeth, who's 24 and she's studying to be a counselor. And then my youngest, uh, who's married and who is the mom of our grandson, Isaac, and her, um, 
her husband, uh, Ryan, is a great guy, and they're all a part of our church. And if you notice, our kids have, like I said, biblical names, Joshua, David, Hannah, Elizabeth. We didn't ever know what our kids were going to be when they were born, and uh, what they were going to be. We knew they were going to be kids, but we didn't know they were going to be a boy or a girl, what flavor they were going to come out. And uh, we had names picked out, and our last one, uh, Sarah Naomi, uh, we, we prayed. And if she was a girl, it was going to be Sarah Naomi. And if it was a boy, it was going to be Josiah Daniel. And we were even ready if we were going to have twins. First and second Corinthians. We were ready. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for being patient with my warped sense of humor. Um, would you join with me as we pray together and just ask God to speak to our hearts? Uh, Father, I thank you that uh, we are your children because of what Jesus has done for us. We're not just friends, we're not just people who enjoy some of the same things, but Lord, you have called us to yourself, and you've called us to one another. And I thank you, Father, for Willow Park Church. I thank you for what you're doing at Rush. I thank you that one day all of us are going to worship at your feet forever and never get bored, but enjoy you and one another and the new heaven and new earth you've created. And so right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us that you would, um, God, help me to share only what your spirit wants to say to our hearts. I pray, Father, that it would be more than just uh, good words, but, Lord, that it would be your words and that you would transform us. So help us to literally, as we sang earlier, lay ourselves down. God, use us any way you want for your glory. We love you, and we only love you because you loved us first. And so, God, uh, speak because we want to hear, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me uh, ask you a question. If I were to ask you right now, and this is not one of those answers so, uh, that you, you shout out, but if I were to ask you to share something in your life that only God could get the credit for, could you? Is there something in your life, I'm not talking about going to church or, or some amazing things that might have happened on a mission trip, although God can be a part of that. Are there things in your life right now, in your ministry, at work, in your family, are there things taking place in your life that you can say, this is God and only he can get the credit for? It's not my preparation, it's not my resources, it's not what I've done, this is what God has done. Those are the miraculous, and we don't see the miraculous happen often enough because we don't need the miraculous. We are so well-resourced in North America compared to the rest of the world that often we say, well, God has blessed us with a good mind and these resources, and we will pray, and, and I'm, I believe prayer is foundational, but sometimes our prayers are really more asking God to bless what we've already decided to do instead of saying, God, what is it that you want to do in us and through us? God, how do you want to bring glory to your name? How do you want people to see that there is no other God like you, and God, would you do something in our midst that only you can get the credit for? And so the way you see us sort of uh, make up for God is we start calling things miracles that aren't miracles. And I'll say, well, you know, uh, have you seen a miracle? And people say, oh, yeah, every, every time the sun rises, it's a miracle. Or every time a child is born, it's a miracle. Or every time I see the smile on my child's face, it's a miracle. And please hear me in the spirit that I'm saying this, but that is not a miracle. That is a reflection of God's creative genius, the fact that he is uh, king over 
all the earth, all over all creation. The Bible says he spoke things into existence. He holds things all together. Everything was made by him and for him and for his glory. But those things are not miracles. Those things point to who God is. The Bible is filled with miracles where God interrupts the natural order that he has set in place to bring glory to himself, that people say, this is not something that just happened. God interrupted the very nature of things so that we could learn more about his character and see his provision and that he is God Almighty and that he can do the impossible. And see, when you come into a relationship with Jesus and you start to believe that and trust that, you can rest Because it's not about what you can do for God, but about what God wants to do in and through you. And you can just watch and be a part of what God wants to do. Now, that doesn't mean we just sit around and twiddle our thumbs. What it means is that we get to be a part of our Heavenly Father building his kingdom. That we are the church, the body of Christ on earth, that Jesus is the head of the church, but we are his body to continue to do the things that he did on earth. And we're looking at Mark chapter 6, and I'm so grateful that you're going through the gospel. When I was just a seven-year-old Christian, a man named Henry Blackaby, some of you may be familiar with him from experiencing God or other things, but I was at a conference that he taught, and he said that he stays in his quiet time in the gospel all the time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He reads in other places, but we see the teaching and the heart and the miracles of Jesus and what he does. And there's always something new that God wants to say to us in his word about who Jesus is and what he's doing and what he's inviting us to participate in. And Mark 6 is filled with amazing stories that point to the divinity of Jesus. See, Mark is trying to teach us that he is not just a great teacher or a great prophet, but Jesus is the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And he is not just a military leader or a great man of God, but he is the God who is man that he is the one who has come to change everything. And he is more than just one who is like Moses because Moses sinned. But here is the perfect lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world but also is God in the flesh with all his power. And I entitled this message, Needs Are Almost Always Greater Than Resources. Our needs are almost always greater than resources, and sometimes we can complain about that, or sometimes we can embrace that and see it as a palette for God to display his glory and his provision and what he's going to do. See, in places around the world where we have brothers and sisters in Christ in third world countries, they have learned to trust God for everything because they can't go down to the store and buy it when their budget is next to nothing other than maybe a chicken. You can't do a whole lot with a chicken until you put it in God's hands. And then you watch what God does. And that's why revival is exploding in South America, in Africa, in Asia. Because our persecuted brothers and sisters who have limited resources are calling out to God and trusting him. And they are seeing him do things that only he can get the credit for. See, in our lives here in North America, we have so much. But doesn't it seem like we're always in need? Maybe you have enough financial resources. Don't have enough time, right? You have enough time. You don't have enough financial resources. 
It just seems like we're always short of something. But you know, God by design has given you exactly what you're supposed to have. And he wants us to trust him. James says, you, you have not because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you don't get because you ask for selfish motives. Well, here's an account in the Gospels that's the only miracle other than the resurrection that's in all four Gospels. I don't know if you know that. This is the feeding of the 5,000. And it's the only miracle that appears in all four other than Jesus being raised from the dead. And so we're going to read Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 42, and also we'll look at the parallel passage in John chapter 6 as well. So listen as I read along. This is Mark 6, 30 through 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketful of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. And I'm going to read um, the Gospel of John's account in John 6, verses 1 through 15. Now, when it says sometime after this, part of this, what's happened is uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by Herod. And the reason that he drew away to a lonely place was really to grieve. He and his disciples to get away. I mean, he and John were close. John was the forerunner of his ministry. He was his first cousin. And he was beheaded because he spoke the truth to Herod about the fact that he had married his brother's wife. And his wife and her daughter plotted to have John the Baptist beheaded, and he would. And so when they're pulling away to a lonely place, that's their motivation, is to get away. Okay? So, John 6, starting in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for Jesus already knew, had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. 
Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same thing with the fish. Then they, had all, then they all had enough to eat. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that were uh, left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. Let me tell you why I think this is the only miracle other than the resurrection that's recorded in all four Gospels. Think about the culture at the time. There were no 7-Elevens. There were no Quiznos, no Little Caesars. There were no Safeways. There were no Sobeys. You couldn't just run down to a place and get something to eat. If you were traveling, you carried with you what you needed, and people would provide hospitality. The numbers that we have here, they're 5,000 men and their families. So there was a minimum, a minimum of 15 to 20,000 people there. And these people had not intended to stay and listen to Jesus so long. But they came because of the miracles Jesus had done, and they were so enthralled with his teaching that they lost total track of time. You know, like you do on Sunday mornings. And so... <laughs> Jesus is the one who sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. He's teaching them, and he realizes these people have been here for a long time. It says that he was moved with compassion. He's caring about them. The word there actually in the Greek means that his bowels were moved. In other words, it hurt him viscerally as he saw these people as sheep without a shepherd. And he sees that they need to be fed. They don't come and say, hey, is there a snack bar here? You know, is there a food truck lying around, a food camel, whatever they had? You know, is there some place we can get something to eat? Jesus is the one who recognizes the need, and he tells his disciples to feed them. But their response is, send everybody away. It is such a big deal for these people to firsthand experience the miracle of being fed, just like those who were fed the manna in the wilderness. They experienced a miracle of God's provision, and that's what happened. And they told their friends about it. You're not going to believe what happened. We're in the middle of the desert. There's nothing to eat, and Jesus takes this little boy's lunch, and he multiplies it. And not only did each of us we didn't get just a little bit. We all ate until we were full, and then there were baskets left over. It was amazing. So much so, they wanted to make him king because part of the king's job was to protect his people but also to provide for his people. And they, they weren't wanting him as uh, the Messiah. These people were looking at him as their provider. Take care of us. It was an amazing thing. There was no natural explanation for this. And this is a real event, and we see so many things about this. We're told when it took place. It took place at Passover, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, where it took place, around the Sea of Galilee, the number of people. It, it was 5,000 men plus families. How the disciples responded, we hear. You know, the disciples aren't turned into superheroes. They're turned into real people who are trying to figure this out practically. You know, we, we don't have enough. Even if we had eight months' wages, everybody would just get like a, a snack. That's it. 
We know that they broke into grassy areas, that they broke into groups of 50 and 100. We know what they ate. It was a boy's lunch. That was a common boy's lunch. Little barley loaves, they would have been like biscuits and salted fish, like little sardines. That was a small boy who gave the meal to Jesus. That the disciples were the ones who distributed the food. That everyone ate their fill and were satisfied. And there were 12 baskets of fragments left over. Well, for time's sake, let's just run through just three main points with all that introduction. These are the, this is the first point. Needs are almost always greater than resources. Needs are almost always greater than resources. We live in a fallen, broken world, and we were created to experience God's abundance every day in the garden, to walk in perfect fellowship with Jesus, to have no needs. They would always be met there, and part of the brokenness of our world is that needs will almost always be greater than resources. In verse 35 and 36, it says, By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You know, a little later in in this passage where we see Jesus walking on the water, again, to prove his divinity and his majesty even over... uh, nature when the disciples are rowing across it's jesus up on the mountain who sees their need when they're in trouble when he comes walking to them god knows our need before we ask even the lord's prayer jesus said don't let your words be like the pagans when they pray thinking that god hears you because you keep saying the same thing again and mumbling again and again because god knows your needs before you even ask God knows both the need and God knows how he's going to meet the need. You know, and God in his sovereignty chooses to use the weak, the small, the very young, the old to bring glory to himself to meet needs. Think about this. Abraham, 75 years old before God made the promise to him about the son of Isaac. Moses was 80 years old. David slew Goliath with a small rock and a sling, and he said that God has delivered the bear and the lion into my hands, and he's going to deliver you. He didn't say, you know, uh, I tried out for the Israeli uh, Olympic team, and uh, I'm pretty good at slingshot. That's not what he said. He said, my God has delivered the bear and the lion into my hand, and he's going to deliver you. The Apostle Paul says that he prayed three times about the thorn in his flesh, but he said, God said, my grace is Sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And here, this little boy who had a little lunch, and he gives it to Jesus, and Jesus knows beforehand what's going to happen. And you don't see Jesus saying, this is all there is? I mean, there are 5,000 people, and there's not one bag of Doritos out there, just these little barley loaves and fish. He knew exactly what was there. He knows the need before we even ask but he wants us to trust him. He wants us to take what he's given us and put it back in his hands. You know, that little boy, by the way, didn't give anything to Jesus that Jesus didn't already own. The Bible says, the earth and all it contains is the Lord's. What's left out of all? Thank you, absolutely right. (laughs) Including that little boy's lunch. 
And so we think when God wants to use the resources that he's given us to meet a great need, that we're giving God something that he doesn't already have. I remember when I was a little boy, I was in grade two, and it was my mom's birthday, and I don't think I got much of allowance if I got any allowance, and I remember asking my mom for $2. That was like $1,000 for me, and um, we had the amazing, amazing bus driver. Her name was Gertie. And she loved the kids. At the end of the school year, she took all the kids out to her farm, and they would have a big barbecue. And I remember uh, taking that $2, and I said, Gertie, it is my mom's birthday. Would you buy me a present for my mom? I had no idea. I was in grade two what, my, what she would buy my mom. She said, I'll take care of it. And I'm sure she put some of her own money in there, too. And I remember after school getting on Gertie's bus, and uh, she said, here, I have it for you. And it was... Uh, a container of powder with a bow on it, just a big thing of, of powder, a nice, smelly powder. And uh, I was so excited. And I got home, and I, I gave it to my mom. And, you know, she must not have liked it because she started crying. <laughs> well, if you're a parent, you know that's not why she was crying, because it touched her heart. Now think about this for a minute. My mother paid for her own birthday present. She did. I don't know whether she knew why I was asking for $2 or not. But that's the way it is with God. When we say, God, we're going to take what you've already given us and we're giving it back to you, it's amazing how it touches his heart and what he does with it. The second thing is this. We'll either rely on God or ourselves to meet our needs. What they do is they say, okay, these people are hungry, so uh, how much money do we have? We, we don't have enough. We, we can't do this. And so we're not going to feed people. Send them away. What's amazing is in Mark 6, 4 through, 4 through 13, right before this, Jesus has given them authority, and they have gone out, and they have done healings. They have preached God's word. They've seen God provide for the miraculous because they didn't take a cloak. They didn't take a, a lunch box. They didn't, they didn't take anything, and God provided for them. And here, instead of remembering what he had done, they say, we, we can't do this. We don't trust God often enough. We tend to trust ourselves. And the Bible says that Jesus in John, Jesus was testing them because he already knew what he was going to do. In Exodus chapter 3, it's really interesting. When God calls Moses, he says, I've heard the cry of my people, and I'm going to set them free. Now, Moses, go. Wait, God, you just, you said you were going to do it. Yep, Moses, now go, you old man. <laughs> you 80-year-old man who's been a shepherd for 40 years. See, we will either rely on God or ourselves to meet our needs. What did Moses first say? I can't speak very well. Send somebody else. Send anybody else. I'm old. And God says, no, I'm going to use you because I'm going to bring glory to myself. We will either focus on our lack or see it as an opportunity for God to glorify himself. If God has asked you to do something, if God wants to do something through your life, through your family, through your business, through your church, just trust him. If you wait and say, well, God, after you show me how you're going to do it, then I will turn it all over to you. It will never happen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
And he who comes to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you do not trust God when he asks you to do something because he's asked you to do it, then you're trusting yourself and not God. And you're saying, God, I can't do this. If it is, I heard one person say once, if it is God's will, then it is God's bill. He may ask you to work. He may ask you to do something, but you can rest in the fact that if he has called your church, your ministry, your family to do something, then it will be done if you trust him and put what he's given you back into his hands. And that's what this little boy did. This little boy, one of the only guys who didn't know any better. That's why we have to have the faith of a child to trust God for what he asks us to do. When I became a Christian, um, I was baptized on Christmas Day. I had to leave home three days later. I didn't grow up in a, a Christian home. My family was not happy about me coming to Jesus. I had to drop out of university. And you know, I had nothing but Jesus. And Mother Teresa says this, you don't find that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Do you know, I went, I went back to university eventually. Um, I went to seminary. I graduated from university. I graduated from seminary with no debt. God provided for all of my needs. When we moved to Canada in 1993, we had no idea how we were going to come. We went to a little church of 15 people. And they told me about this salary they were going to give us. And I thought, boy, this is very generous for 15 to 20 people. This is amazing. And they said, and we're going to invite you to be part of raising this, this salary. Oh. I'd never done that before. And I had friends who said, Lou, you need to wait until you raise all your support before you go. A good friend of mine who was uh, the uh, chief financial officer for a very big international ministry said, Lou, you need to make sure you have 50% or more of your funds raised before you go. And you know what? That's not what God told us to do. He told us to go to Canada. And so we said yes. And after we said yes, it was like the money started coming in from all over the place. It was just amazing how God provided. And for three and a half years, there was always surplus without having to beg people, without having to say, if you don't give us money, then you are failing God and we're going to send people to hell because of you. It was nothing like that. We just said, give to your local church first. And if God lays, you on our, your, God lays us on your heart and you want to give, that would be great. A few years ago, I brought a team to Rwanda and we were going to be there for three weeks we worked with two different ministry teams, uh, E3 Partners, which plants churches where there's no evangelical church within an hour walking distance, and then the, um, the uh, Association of Evangelical Baptists in Rwanda. And uh, when I told the group who met, who's all interested in going to Rwanda, you know, we need to raise $6,500 per person because we were going to help build a church and provide for a lot of things and pay for the conferences we were doing. And I said with all confidence, because of walking with the Lord and seeing his faithfulness is this. If God is calling you to go, he will provide. And he did not provide $6,500. He provided about $7,500 per person so that we were able to super bless the people who were there. Yes, we had fundraisers. Yes, we worked hard. And out of that group, one couple, she was the chief financial officer for Blue Cross Blue Shield for Saskatchewan. She and her husband in their 50s left and they are now missionaries in Rwanda because they saw God's provision and all of us knew it was God. And that really is the last point is this. When God meets needs, God is glorified. Not just for those receiving the provision, for those who serve as the conduit. 
People were satisfied and there were plenty leftovers. You know, if that boy kept his little lunch to himself, he probably would have gone away hungry. But the Bible says everybody was more than full and there were baskets left over. You know, God said, don't collect more than enough manna just for today, except on the day before the Sabbath, because he didn't want them to work on the Sabbath. And they were never hungry. But see, what Jesus was pointing to is, I am the bread of life. See, it wasn't Moses who gave you the manna in the wilderness. It was God who gave you the manna in the wilderness. And I am giving you bread, but even more so, I'm giving you the bread that will satisfy you forever. And in John chapter 6, we see he said, if you really want to be my followers, when they wanted to make him king, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that's when everybody scattered. How to win friends and influence people. Eat my bread, eat my body, and drink my blood. For my body is true food, and my blood is true drink. If you, listen, it's one thing reading back now, they scattered except for the disciples. He said, aren't you going to go too? Where would we go? You alone, you alone have the words of eternal life. See, I wonder what God wants to do through Willow Park. You're doing so many wonderful things here. But I wonder how much more God wants to do through you and through your family. I wonder how many people where you work or go to school or in your family would be touched and see that Jesus really is who he says he is when you take what he's given you and put it back in his hands. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, like I said, as soon as as God gives us enough, as soon as we have enough, you know, you will never have enough. You'll always need just a little bit more. I tell my church, we have a culture of generosity. We are not reservoirs. See, what a reservoir is, when it gets filled and then it overflows, it takes care of the surrounding areas. God doesn't want you to be a reservoir. He alone is the reservoir. He is the fountain of living water. He wants us to be conduits. See, a conduit channels what goes through it. And when we can say, God, here is what you gave me. Use it for your glory, whatever it is. And he will meet the needs of many, many people, including your own, and bring glory to himself. And if you wait and wait and wait, even what you're holding on to, whether it's bread and fish, will just become stale and stinky until you put it in God's hands and it changes lives. And so my question to you as we close is this. What has God put in your hand that you're holding on to and won't let go of? For some people, you know, it's their children. I, I love you, God, but I really don't trust you. You know, my kids can serve you as long as it's within a 120-kilometer radius of where we live. Maybe it's your finances. God, just, just bless me, and then I'll, I'll give to the church or to this mission. You know what? If you live here, if you're sitting here, you are in the top 1% to 2% of the wealth of the entire world. There are people who cannot imagine the riches that we have. When we were in Rwanda, there was a group of women, and they wanted our women to teach them how to make money better. This is a very poor village. Do you know why they wanted to learn how to make more money? To take care of the poor in their village. 
God blessed them, and God uses them. Maybe it's your, your life. Maybe it's your, your sexual life. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's your job that you are not saying, God, I am not just working here. I am working here for you, and it changes everything. It goes from being a little boy's lunch to a banquet that feeds innumerable people and points to Jesus. So let's take a moment to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to show you what he's put in your hands that he wants you to put back in his hands because you know what? In the Bible, there's no place of a miracle where God rips something out of somebody's hands. Whether it was Abraham's son Isaac, Moses' staff, David's sling, this little boy's lunch, God invites us to lay it down Give it to him in his hand. So take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what he's put in your hands that you can put back in his. And if you're holding on to it, ask him to give you the desire to let go. Lord Jesus, I I thank you that you're a good God. And we can put everything back into your hands because you are wonderful. God, you don't want to just provide for us. You want us to be about our Father's work. God, you call us your children and your servants and your friends. And God, we are joint heirs with Christ and we get to be a part of what you're doing. Forgive us when we've been selfish. Forgive us when we haven't trusted you and we don't think we can put it in your hands. Forgive us when we've relied on our own resources instead of saying, God, if you've called us to do it, you'll take care of the needs. Help us to be people of great faith that point people to the God who deserves all the glory and credit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.